Man, Jessica, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm super excited about this, this finale to the series. If you guys haven't been with us, like Pastor Reagan said, we've been doing a relationship series and hashtag relationship goals. We're getting very millennial with our titles now, you know, trying to like include that. everybody in there. Um, but have you guys ever sat on a Sunday morning and the pastor's saying something really good, really engaging, and you're, you're like, man, I got a question to that. But it's not an environment where you can just raise your hand and just ask a question. Um, you won't exactly be able to do that today either, but the next best thing. So we've allowed you guys to text in your questions these past few weeks, and we've got a ton of responses. And what we're going to have is our panel, our expert panel back here. The perfect marriage is back here, right? Right? Give it up for these experts. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've... Um, They'll be answering your questions. So I'm excited about this. Yeah, absolutely. And like Kel and, and Pastor Reagan were saying, you know, we've been in this series. So if, you, if you've if you missed, listen, maybe you've missed a week or maybe you haven't been here. It's your first time. I just kind of want to recap what we've talked about in, in February because I think it's really important and for you to understand where these questions are coming from. So the first week, Pastor Reagan talked about intimacy with the Lord, how that's our number one relationship that we're responsible for. When that relationship is where it should be, then our relationships can thrive. But if that relationship is off, then it will cause damage. And, un, and, and really unhealthy things in all of our relationships. So we talked about intimacy with the Lord. Um, the second week, we talked to two different groups. We talked to the singles and we talked to the marrieds. And we said, hey, no matter if you're single or if you're married, God has called you to thrive in your season, whatever season that is. One is not greater than the other. They're just where we're at right then. So it's been really exciting. And then the third week, we, third week, we talked about relationship killers, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to be intentional in relationships. But there's things that come in that just kind of tear them apart kill a relationship. So that was really good. I learned a lot from that series. And now this week, we're actually taking your questions and we got a ton of responses um, texted in and we can't answer every single one, but there are 10 overarching categories where we've derived the questions from. Yeah, we're really excited. So I'm going to, I'm going to say a couple of things before we get started, just so you know, on the on hand. Okay. So number one, you know, sometimes when I host, I always love to say, you know, and I heard this from somebody else, but you know, we believe that when you come in here in this environment right here, this is like our living room. That's what we like to call it. We do life together here. You know, it might just be one Sunday, you know, a week, but we, we do life here. And just like if this was a living room where, you know, in your living room at your home, that's where you're having your conversations. So today, this is what this is. We just want to come in and we want to have a conversation with questions that you've asked. That's the beauty about today is that we haven't figured out any of these questions. These are coming from the people who are sitting in this room. Mm-hmm. I think that's really awesome to, to think about. Um, the second thing that I want to say on hand for parents is, hey, we do have a question in here that has some mature subject matter. So now would be the time for you to know that and to make those decisions. Um, it's not crazy. I promise you we're not going to get crazy, but we just want to let you know like, hey, we will be dealing with something. But it's something that you've asked about, and I think it's really important that we address it. Um, The third thing that I just want to say is that, you know, we... This panel that's up here, they have prayerfully considered these questions. So I want you to know that we're not flippantly answering anything. And in fact, our heart has been that we don't just come to you with our opinions, but that we've prayed and asked the Lord to give us his heart. Because that's really what's going to bring transformation. We can have opinions all day long, but we really want to know what the Lord says. The great thing about these guys is they offer a lot of wisdom in the sense that they've lived life and there are things they've seen that's worked for them. 
but we want to approach it with God's heart. And with that being said, these questions that have come in, we, we recognize that all of them represent different people and people represent stories. And we know that there are a lot of things that are happening within the context of these stories. There's a lot of nuances about your relationship that we don't really know. So we want to say before we begin, we believe that life is best done in community with other people because they're going to answer these questions. They're going to give you some wisdom. But we believe that what's going to make, what's going to really make a difference is when you leave here and you're doing life with people that can keep you accountable, ask you hard questions, who know the, in, the, the intricacies of your relationships, and you can really speak on those things. So we just want to set that up before, offhand. That is so good. Let's get started. You yeah, know? Let's, yeah, I'm excited. Let's, I'm excited. Let's, okay, let's okay. start well, by introducing go our panel. Okay. And we're just going to intro the panel, right? Most of you know these guys, but I think it's just good for us to just refresh ourselves. So I have the, the first couple I have the honor um, of, of introducing is Pastor Steve and Beth Candler. Pastor Steve, yeah, that's right. Listen, we want your feedback today. That's right. That's right. Okay. Pastor Steve serves as our worship pastor and Beth, she works in our office. She oversees our encounters, very integral in ministry here. Um, they have been married for 29 years. They have, yeah, it's awesome. They have two grown sons um, and they have been here at New Hope 13 years. So I think that's pretty significant. Oh, we love them. That's for sure. Uh, the next couple that um, I have the honor of calling friends um, is Pastor Tony and Haley Lamb. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you hear our young people. So Tony and Haley head up our youth here at New Hope. Haley's also been very integral in our outreach here at New Hope. And uh, we love them dearly. They have uh, been married for 11 years this coming May. So they have some years behind them. Yeah. Um, they've been here at New Hope for 16 years. And a piece of fun fact, they have a beautiful baby boy now named Kingston. And we love him dearly as well. So. And so our, our, our next couple, I mean, 29 and 11, I mean, if you guys aren't in it for the long haul, they've been married 53 years. That's awesome. Amen to that. So Mr. Wayne and Dot Gaines and um, Mr. Wayne, he, he actually was the, the headmaster when we had our New Hope Christian Academy, and he's very integral in our community Christian um, school, helping with that as well, too, getting that all started, and their connect group leaders and just a little interesting tidbit. If you don't know Beth, this is her mom and dad too. So yeah, it's a lot of wisdom in there. Um, our last couple, last but not least, are Executive Pastor Reagan Summers and Joy Summers. And Joy, yeah, let's give it up for her. Awesome, awesome. She's our children's pastor too. So all you guys that have kids in there, they're doing a wonderful job. She leads that up. They've been married 16 years. Wow. Joy is... Um, Joy's been serving in the house here 25 years, and Reagan, 16 years serving here. Awesome. So let's get into our first, first question. I believe I have the first one here. Yeah, you do. We'll throw this one to Pastor Steve and Beth. First question. Um, so one of the people called, I mean, texted in, and we hear a lot that God should be in the center of our marriage. What does that practically look like? Okay, well, I'll take that. I'll start off. Um, for God to be in the center of our marriage at a practical level. Ironically, we just came off of the couples encounter this past weekend. We had an amazing time. And uh, one of the things that we emphasized this year as we did last year is for married couples, um, you know, to just, if you can just communicate in such a way that you can discover one or two tools, one or two things that you need to kind of move forward in, that can be paramount. It can be huge 
in helping your marriage move to the next level and to thrive, not just survive, but to thrive. And so that's one of the things that we really emphasized uh, over the weekend. There's a lot of stuff we covered, but there's a scripture in Proverbs that says that by wisdom, a house is built and through knowledge, it is established. And it reminds me of a scripture in Ephesians that says, and most of you have heard it before, that uh, husbands are to love their wives. And it goes on to say that wives are to respect or honor their husbands. And there's, there's something that's um, communicated in that, in that scripture passage and the fact that there's a selflessness that has to come into play, that we have to give ourselves. Jesus Christ demonstrated his love for us by going to the cross. And that we have the opportunity as a husband or a wife to communicate, to show one another, the husband to the wife, to show that you love your wife, and for the wife to show that you respect your husband. That's a tool that you can use because what's happening in that premise is that you have an opportunity, just like that scripture in Proverbs, to build something. Not for, you know, a good marriage just doesn't just happen. It doesn't just show up. You have to choose your way into a good marriage. And that, those are some tools that you can use to build up your spouse. Build them, build them up by showing that you demonstrate your love for them. Build them up by showing that you respect them. And that's one tool that you can practically apply to keep God at the center. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, having a God-centered marriage means that we're following God's principles. And, you know, that's what Steve was saying, that we find his principles in the word of God. And um, as we were preparing for the encounter weekend and we were talking about the sessions and stuff that we were going to be teaching. And um, one time we were, were talking and I kind of looked at him and I said, you know, we have these marriage conferences and we have these, these couples encountered because marriage for many people becomes such a challenge and such a, it's such a hardship. Like you're having to work so hard at it. And I said, you know, why is it that in the beginning, oftentimes of our relationships, you know, especially the, the relationships where you, you meet the one that you decide you're going to spend the rest of your life with and you, you do that, that fall in love, it's so easy in the beginning. You know, you're, you're so like, you know, starstruck with one another and, you know, you, you know, the love is blind. You don't see any of their faults and you're so like, isn't he the most wonderful thing you've ever heard of? And you're just telling all your girlfriends how wonderful he is and he is wooing you. Like he is doing all of these things. And so I said, you know, why is that? And we kind of didn't come up with an answer in that moment. And it was actually later that day that um, I was just doing some household chores and I feel like the Lord just dropped in my, in my heart. And he said, the reason it's so easy in the beginning, because in the beginning, you're doing it my way. In your beginning, you're doing it my way. He said, you're putting the other person first. And he said, you're not self-centered. You're not starting to focus on what are they doing for me. You are, without even thinking about it, doing what God designed for us to do. You know, the husband is showing the love to the wife, you know, and not even hesitating to do all he can to win her. And the husband is, the wife is respecting, you know, who's going to be her husband or who is her husband um, because of that, that desire to focus on the other person instead of focusing on ourselves. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Good practical advice there. Okay. Question number two. That's right. That's right. Okay. Question number two, this person asks, if the Bible says that it's not good for man to be alone, then why am I still single and feeling lonely? And I did not text this in. Um, this, is from some, this is from someone else. I know you're all, you all think it, but we're going to send that over to Reagan and Joy Summers if y'all answer that. Well, um, so I'll, I'll just take a minute to answer that. Uh, so 
Reagan and I, whenever we were working closely with the young adults, we used to, like the young adults used to talk about that because they'd say, you don't, you don't even remember when you were single. Like you've been married so long, like 16 is so, like you guys know if you've been married longer than 16 years, it doesn't feel like 16 years. It seems like that, you know? And so they'd say, you don't even remember. And um, that is not true. I definitely remember being single. I got married um, when I was 25, but you know, back in the day, that was actually older. Like a lot of my friends were married and they were already having babies and I would hang out with married people. I remember feeling like, oh, I feel like a loser. Like I don't even have friends left to go out with on Friday nights, you know? I kind of remember that. And so um, one of the things that I always say, like anytime I'm lonely, and listen, um, I know Reagan said this in a sermon, but it's true that like um, marriage does not solve loneliness. It really doesn't. Because I even think we go through seasons where we're just lonely. Or we can be, you can be single and even have like great friends and be in that same friend group and in one season and feel completely fulfilled and do everything the same way with the same people and not have a brokenness in relationship and still feel lonely in a different season. So, so anyway, just put that out there. But I would always say to myself like, Um, okay, is there something in me that is causing this loneliness? Like, is there something in my relationship with the Lord? Is there something going on with me? Am I making myself, you know, the Bible says to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. So I'd always say like, is there something going on with me that is causing me to feel lonely? Secondly, is it God's season for me to experience like a relationship? Because this is what I was craving and that's what this question's about. And so I'd say like, is this a season? Because I believe firmly you cannot have God's perfect Um, will in his life, the perfect thing going on. If you are not working in his perfect timing, God has timing. And um, there's a scripture that I love that talks about that he who trusts in the Lord will be like a tree that's planted by the waters. And it talks about that tree bearing fruit in every season. And so I believe that. I believe that like, and I would say that to myself and I would tell myself truth because I would feel so lonely. I would say to myself like, you know what? The Bible says that I can bear fruit in every season. And so I believe in this season, it might not feel like my dream, you know, whatever, but God is enough. He is good. And in this season, I too can like bear fruit and I can, I can be everything it is and not feel like I'm lacking anything because really it's about me trusting the Lord and trusting the Lord's timing. Yeah. And and, uh, really, I don't need to add much to that, but I want to kind of expand on what she, Joy just said about loneliness, uh, marriage, not being the cure for loneliness, because that is something that it's so easy to feel that way when we're in that season of singleness. And life really is about seasons. And, and if we're not careful, we, we can equate marriage to be that cure. And we know the divorce rate in our country is 50%. And I, what I shared, I think, last week or the week before was that the, the, of the 50% that stay married, there's a good 50% of them that are somewhat miserable in marriage. So there's lots of people that want to be single after they get married because some of them have got married because they thought it was the cure for loneliness and have settled. And what I've said before is that if you want to, um, if you look at marriage as the cure for that, then what ends up happening is that you do settle. A lot of times you end up, you could easily find yourself just wanting to be with somebody just so you're not lonely anymore. Next thing you know, you, you've married someone that, you know, if you would take a step back and look at it, with perspective, you would have known, yeah, that probably wasn't the best choice that I could have made. And so we have to be willing to, to accept the season that we're in. And I, I know it's, you know, we talk about seasons a lot, but it's so, so true that, that God is, the, the best thing we could do is look at that season we're in and say, okay, God, what are you, are you preparing me now? And, and not only are you preparing me now for what's coming up, but I'm, am I willing to lay down all of my rights? Am I willing to, 
to say, God, I want your will in my life even more than I want my own. And sometimes, not just in marriage, but in everything, that, that is a hard thing to say to the Lord because we have to be willing to say, okay, God, I'm willing to, to, to let your will be done. And whatever you say is best for me, I'm going to surrender to that and submit to that because I trust you and that your ways are better than my own. Hey, man, that's good stuff. Good stuff there. Yeah. So the next question, um, Mr. Wayne and I Gaines, we'll, we'll throw this one to you guys here. Um, actually, a lot of responses came in for this. It's about um, spouses not feeling heard or respected in their relationship. My wife didn't send this one in, did she? Um, what would you say to someone or a couple who is in this situation and they need a breakthrough? All right. Um, Dot and I have ministered to people for around 50 years, and this actually has come up uh, numerous times. And, and um, when we get this, we, we kind of went through it a number of times, and we, Kind of came uh, came upon a formula to to address it, and um, what we say is if it's uh, if it's the husband you're having difficulty getting your point across or having your wife listen to your point of view, and um, what you need to do is you need to take her out to her favorite restaurant, and uh, you know they like to hear these you know I love you so much and. And you're, you're, you're just the most wonderful thing. And then go ahead and share with them. I just, I just want to let you know that, you know, sometimes I feel like you're not really, you know, seeing my side of things. And just, it's just like we've learned in this um, uh, weekend that uh, communication is, is one of the most important things in marriage. Mm. But you see, the, uh, if, if, it's the, uh, if it's the woman, well, you know, men, they need a little more physical um, Persuasion. So <clears throat> that's a good word, persuasion. So you you wait until you know a few a few nights later. You go to bed, and after he's asleep, you kind of slip out of the bed, and you gently tie his hands and feet to the corners of the bed. You go into the kitchen and you get a frying pan. Well, not a frying pan. You get the cast iron skillet that you make cornbread in. And you come back into the bedroom and you gently wake him up and you've got the skillet in your hand. It says, listen, buddy, I love you. But if you don't start listening to my point of view, you're going to have some knots on your head. But you say it sweetly. And it works every time. And that's my father. I, I am really not that bad. I'm really not. But you know, uh, the Lord knows, and he knows that we're human. And uh, if we can remember his principle of marriage, like uh, was shared earlier, the scripture in Ephesians, the Lord tells us, husbands, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. And if we can really get a hold of that principle, and even though you might think that your spouse has not got a hold of it, but it's not your place to convince them. But if you will do your part of it, love them with all your heart and respect them, then the Holy Spirit will do his part and get a hold of them. And they'll start seeing a change in you. And then they will desire to listen to you and love and respect you as they should. That's so good. That's so good. Now, Miss Dot, did you do that to Mr. Gaines? Was, was there a cast iron skillet involved? Just curious. It worked. He, it seems like 
it's from experience. <laughs> um, okay, so our fourth question that came in, that we actually had an overwhelming number of questions about this, so I'm going to kind of, um, you know, give a general question, but um, we had a lot of questions come in about dating. So when it's okay to date, so um, what season of life is appropriate, someone wrote into, hey, like it seems like when you're younger, it's don't date, when you're older, going a lot of them. Um, so there's that. And then I'm going to follow that up as if that's not enough. Um, we had a lot of questions as well come in about how do I know when I found the one? So we're going we're gonna to pass that to, to Tony and Haley, if y'all, if y'all take that question yeah. for us. I mean, it's a pretty simple, not very long answer. Dating is the devil's playground. It's better for man to be single, so run. Okay, I'm just saying. All right. No, I'm just kidding. If that, if that, if I would have took that principle, I wouldn't have met my wonderful wife. So, but, um, but yeah, dating. You know, I think you have to a- ask the question. Well, what is the purpose of dating? Because um, I think our society tells us that dating. And it, it doesn't even tell us. A lot of us in this room have participated in this. Dating is a way of meeting needs without a commitment. I mean, if we were to be honest with ourselves, that's what, that's what society does. That's what natural man does. Um, it's a way of meeting needs without having a, a commitment, you know. And, and I always, you know, tell these young people, um, and I think this goes all across the board. I think it goes from the teenager who's 12 or 13 years old to the person who's uh, later in life who maybe have kids and is single for whatever reason. Um, but intimacy uh, is usually the problem that I see with young people um, because I'm in that realm right now. Uh, usually they get in trouble with their intimate relationship because I used to, I beat these guys over the head like, stay away from this girl or stay away from this guy. You know, who are you? You know, but the Lord convicted me. He said, no, that, that's natural. These things are natural. And then he began to reveal to me that it's the intimacy level that we get ourselves involved in. You know, and if you think about that, that's where we have a lot of times fatherless children, children out of wedlock. Because we, we don't understand that intimacy should parallel to commitment. And that commitment should ultimately look like covenant. And, uh, and if, we don't know, if we don't know the cross and what covenant looks like, then we're going we're gonna to struggle in all of that. And so that's what I, that's what I would say about dating, you know, in, in reference to something like that. What would you say? I mean, the only thing I'm thinking is like the Bible, you know, if we're looking to say, what does the Bible say about dating? It doesn't because the Bible was written in a time period where dating was not a thing like it is here. That's so true. just don't do it. Is the, no, I'm just, kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it just, it doesn't speak to what we know as dating, but we can pull principles from the word. Things like right. responsibility, things mm. like wisdom. Wisdom, things like uh, respect. Those, those are things that we can pull. And what the word does say is that that uh, in Song of Solomon, this is kind of the beginnings of a relationship, a marriage relationship between husband and wife. And it says, don't awaken love mm. before it so desires. Mm. And so to me, when I look at that, I also know that the word says that we can guard our hearts because in our hearts who we are, that, that, is, that is everything of who we are. That is the gift that God has given mm, us. Amen. And we can take the time as a young person, as an older per- person, all across the board, we can take the time to get to know our hearts. We can take the time to say, who am I? What makes me tick? Where am I wanting to go in life? What, do I, what are my likes? What are my dislikes? And as I know myself, as I know my heart, then I know that when it's time, when the right time is here, I can fully give it to someone. And I know how to protect their heart too. I know how to love their heart well, because God has given us the responsibility, the ability to steward our hearts and know how to do that with someone else as well. So I I again say, Hey, let's take the time. Who are we? What do I like? What do I, what do I want in life? And how can that be? um, How can I pair that up with someone else when the time is right? 
You know, our, we have needs that, that we want to get met, and there's nothing wrong with that. As a young person, as an old person, older person, excuse me, there's nothing wrong with that. But if it's not your time to date, there are healthy ways right. to get your needs met. That's right. That's right. Good. And then that yeah. follow-up question. Oh. How do I know when I found the one? How do I know if I found the one? Yeah. I think oh. that's kind of a... I think it's kind of, I don't know if oxymoron is the right word. I don't know. Um, but, but, you know, when we say we found the one, like, there's always that one person out there for you. Mm. That's pretty scary when you think about that. You know, Brother Josh, you're thinking about Meredith, you know, like, how did you end up on the one? You know what I mean? Like, because if Josh would have got it wrong, that means everybody following Josh would have been off by one person. Ooh. So finding, finding the one is not just that there is one. So I want to I make that clarification because the one is actually the choice. And when you make the choice of the one, that's who you choose, and that's the one. It's not just that there's one person out there for you, and you're a needle in a haystack looking for them. And so, you're at, yes, you're actually choosing the one. And, you know, I think a lot of times we choose the one. I was listening to a podcast the other day. Uh, a lot of people get in relationship because they have chemistry, right? But chemistry simply is just biology, and so I believe that you can have chemistry with more than one person. You see what I'm saying? You see where I'm going with this? But he says the problem that I find in a lot of relationships is not that they, the chemistry was the bad part. They just didn't know how to be in relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. And so how do we know how to be in relationship with each other is through a, a relationship with the Lord. That's the, that's the correct relationship, I believe. And it's the, it should be the foundation for everything. Mm-hmm. And so when me and Haley were, were thinking about this, you know, we were like, well, how did we know that we were the one for each other? And I think I look back, and um, I think I could have answered that question by asking myself a question. And I think you can answer that question by asking yourself this question. The Scripture says that we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So if you're in a relationship or thinking about being in a relationship with somebody who doesn't even believe the same belief system that you do, I think that's a red flag. I think that's something that you probably need to submit to the Lord and, and allow the Holy Spirit to work that out for you. Also, for me and Haley... Um, we had a spiritual covering that we could go to and seek advice. Like, this is what we're looking for. This is what we're, this is what we're, inter- we're interested in each other. Because we know that the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Yeah. And so there is a timing to it. I think that's what Joy alluded to earlier. And so finding that one is, is, is a multitude of things. I think uh, practically for anybody out there that's actually dating somebody, the greatest thing that I ever did was meet their parents. And got, get their blessings, the blessings of my in-laws. I cannot tell you, young person, old person, if you're, if you're uh, looking to seek somebody's hand in marriage, that's the best thing that I ever did. And, and, you know, for instance, our baby's with our grandma this morning, his grandma this morning, and me and Haley got to sleep all night last night. <laughs> and uh, so I'm so thankful for my in-laws. I'm thankful that I was um, given that advice. I would just say, too, like, don't let this be out of a a fear. Don't let it be out of fear. Like, am I going to miss it? You know, or don't even let it be out of like, hey, like, I just want to make sure I can justify my decision here. This is the one. You know what I mean? Don't let it be out of those things. Like, just uh, just know that God gives us choice and he wants to partner with us. Like, he, like, when you look all throughout scripture, he partners with amazing men and women of God who don't always get it right, right? But he has grace and he has wisdom that he bestows on them and he empowers them to make choices. Love is the most powerful choice. Free will is the most precious gift that we were given. And when you choose that spouse, uh, under the right circumstances, honoring the Lord, you get to make them the one every day. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really good. Yeah, that's a good, good answer. Good answer. And it's actually, yeah, give it up to him. Absolutely. 
And it's a great transition into this next one because you talk about dating. And if you mess up on the dating part, if you get it wrong there, it can um, a lot of times lead to this one um, within the marriage. So this comes up. Um, I think Reagan mentioned this. It's not just in the world. It's also in the church in regards to divorce. So we'll actually let Reagan and Joy answer this one. No more softballs for you. You guys are asking some tough questions here. So divorce seems to be rampant in our culture and even in our church. What is God's view on divorce in remarriage? Well, um, I guess I drew the, the short stick um, getting to answer this question because this is definitely a, uh, this is always a hot button topic. And, and uh, you know, what I found for myself is that when I was younger, um, in my 20s, and I, you know, I was really just digging into the word and I was, I was devouring the word, getting excited about my relationship with the Lord and getting, uh, giving myself to him. I felt like I knew everything. You know, because I would read it and I would think, oh, that makes sense. And I would just, you know, I, I thought I knew everything there was to know. And I, I had God figured out. And as you get older, you realize <laughs> there's no figuring God out. Um, it, it's a journey we're on. And, and I found that it was, it's very easy to be very dogmatic about divorce and remarriage in life as an ideal. But when it actually touches your life, it becomes a little different story. And, uh, and the fact of the matter is that in a room this size, divorce has touched a lot of people's lives. And to just say that someone's disqualified uh, in life because of something that happened uh, based on just one verse is not something that I'm prepared to do or say. I, I don't think, you know, biblically, according to what the Word of God says, there's only two reasons for divorce that's given in the Bible. And one is for adultery, and the other one is if you have an unbelieving spouse that wants to leave. Now, to me, that, that, that cannot be exhaustive uh, in the Word of God because, first of all, I, I can think of multiple scenarios where I would never tell someone that they should not leave their spouse. If a woman came to us and wanted counseling and said, hey, my husband's beating me up once a week. I'm in the hospital about once every two months, and, but he doesn't want a divorce. Should I stay with him? I mean, nobody in the right mind would say, oh yeah, well, you know, it's not in the word of God. Sorry, you got to stay with him. You know, wear a helmet. I mean, we wouldn't do stuff like that, you know? It just, it, it just sounds heartless. And, and so what I'm, what I'm saying with divorce is that, you know, there, there's, there's scenarios that we just can't always put it into a box. Now, does God hate divorce? Absolutely. Does God forgive divorce? Absolutely. And what I would say is that if you're, if you're already divorced and remarried, and you know, we've had people ask, uh, talk about it, and I've heard other people say, you know, like, if you're on your second marriage and you get saved and, or, or you really want to do God's heart for you, you need to divorce that person you're married to. That is absolutely absurd. Once we're in marriage, God, God sees marriage as covenant, and we need to look at it that way too. And when we're in covenant together, when we understand what covenant is, we know that God wants us to stay in that covenant. Now, I do believe that in our culture, it's become, divorce has become way too easy. We've, we've looked at marriage, even in the church, we're guilty of this, where we've looked at marriage as like, if it just doesn't work out, we get divorced. And as soon as we're divorced, we're looking for that next person. And I don't, I don't believe that's God's heart for us. I believe he wants us to, to not even have divorce on the table. You know, for Joy and I, divorce has never been on the table. We've, we've had some arguments where, uh, you know, you may not even feel like you love the person at the time because it's getting so heated and some of the stuff that, that, that can, can frustrate you. But we, would, we made an agreement early on that we would never, ever throw that word out because it's not even an option for us because we understand covenant. But that being said, some of, some of you may be on your second, third marriage or even more. And, and for us to sit up here and condemn you and say, well, if you're divorced and you, know, you didn't get divorced for the right reasons, then you're just in sin. We're not gonna do that because the grace of God covers all of our sins, first of all, amen? And, and the Bible's very clear in James. He says, you know, that we need to go to God and ask for wisdom. 
because there are, there's, there's, every situation is different. And so we need to ask God for wisdom in our situation and how he would have us approach our situation and be willing to submit all of that to God in every area of our life, especially in the area of divorce. Yeah, and I'll just say, like, um, I believe firmly that God is a God of redemption, just like God redeemed us as individuals. You know, we were once, like, lost in our sin. We were going to hell, to eternal darkness, and we had no hope. But the God of redemption came, and he saved us. And now we have eternal life, and we get to be with him. And not only have eternal life, but we get to live free. Like, we're not we're not bound to the stuff we were bound to before. And so we have a God God who's a God of redemption. And so I'd also say to you, like, if you're in a marriage where you are just, it, it seems hopeless that God is the same God of redemption in your marriage as he was when you were lost in your sin as an individual. And so we have had so many people in our church that said, I wouldn't have given you two pennies that my marriage was going to work out. I, I had no hope. I had no love. We didn't love each other. We didn't even like each other. And God has redeemed their marriage. And they have godly children. They're raising their children. They have grandchildren who love the Lord. And they have a lineage in him. And so, like, if you're sitting here in that question, like, you're, you're on the side of, like, I'm married, but I feel like there's no hope. I'd like to get out of this thing. I'd like to encourage you, like, you can trust the Lord. He's just as good in your marriage as he was for you as an individual. question that came in is this. <clears throat> I recently read an article that children can change the dynamics between a husband and a wife. What are some ways for spouses to be intentional with each other when kids and life are taking precedence? I'm going to give that to Steve and Beth. Okay. Well, I'll start that one off. Um, so what you're saying is that children can change the dynamics in a home <laughs> with a husband and wife. Is that true, Pastor Tony? Yeah. <laughs> He's ex- yeah, he's experiencing it right now. Yeah. Uh, well, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we can reflect back. Beth and I can reflect back in our own story. And uh, it definitely does change the dynamics. When children enter the picture, um, you know, the one thing that you have to be aware of is that your, your relationship first has to be with your wife, with your spouse. And it definitely does change the dynamics, but here's what you have to do. You have to be intentional about how you're going to approach this sort of a new way of life because it does, it does change things up. And so as far as being intentional, Beth and I, when our boys were small, uh, we decided, hey, we need to get better equipped. We need to find something to do that's practical. So we had found a uh, parenting class in our area that was really, really good, and we, we went and and uh, participated in that. And there was a lot of great practical information that came out of that. But one of the things that we took away from that was one of the best things you can do uh, once children enter the home or enter the picture, whether it's one child, two children, three children, whatever the number is, is to make sure that you demonstrate your love for your spouse. The, The most powerful thing you can do in your home is to love the Lord and love your spouse. There's something that cannot be articulated by children. It's not at a cognitive level. When, when they see with their eyes that mom and dad are a strong bond, they're a strong union and covenant relationship. 
and that the children don't take over the home, but they enter the home. They're a part of that home. But mom and dad has to be first. Now, if you're a single parent, that means your child sees you demonstrate your love for the Lord in relationship and with community. That's also uh, important as well. But that was the one big takeaway that we took. We needed to make sure that our relationship and our bond was strong first between one another. Absolutely. And, you know, the whole thing with obviously the the dynamic of the home does change when children come and and they take up so much of our time when they're little, they just physically, they just have so many things you need to take care of, you know, taking care of their needs. And even when they get older, they have so many activities. And before you know it, they have taken up so much time. And when that, what often what happens is that we develop a home that becomes a child centered home. And we have forgotten the very things that Steve was just talking about. And, and things get out of order. And something else, too, that we very quickly buy into is that, you know, we feel like we need to sacrifice for our kids. And I, I even get that feeling. Steve and I felt like that way. You know, we came out of, both of us came out of good homes. But there's still that, that desire that you have that you want to do everything for your kids. And you want them to have the best that you can give them. And so you start sacrificing things on behalf of them. And, but the point is, is that... If you are sacrificing to the point that you're sacrificing the two most important things that we're talking about, you're sacrificing your time with the Lord and you're sacrificing the time you have with your spouse, then it's gone too far and it's out of order. And so you have to maybe kind of switch that concept of sacrifice and say, are there things that I maybe need to sacrifice in the aspect of everything my kids are involved in? Are there things that maybe I need to sacrifice in, in how, what is going on in the way that our lives are lived? Because if you are not intentional, again, we keep using that word, to spend time with the Lord and spend time with your spouse, then that's where there's going to be a lot of difficulty. There is a, a, an environment of feeling safe and secure, even if they don't understand that. It's, it's being created in that home when they see. Um, and, and I'm glad you said that about the, single, about the single parents. You know, even if you don't have a spouse, just be intentional and let them see how important it is that you take the time in your relationship with the Lord and with others. Yeah, and real quick, yeah. I just want to add one thing to that real quick. It's really ironic something that takes place. There's a dynamic that happens when um, just to use a, a family uh, as a, an example, but when the children, even when they're little, when they see parents um, that have made that stand, that they, they're going to put each other's fir- put each other first. There's a dynamic that takes place. Again, they can't they can't explain it, but it really creates a a sense of parameters for that child, and it really will help bring peace to the home. You know, sometimes, we, you know, we, things can get a little chaotic, and that's natural for things that get like that. But when it, when it comes, becomes a child center home, it can get even more chaotic sometimes because things are out of order. Mom and dad have to come first. And a child, again, I wish I could put it into words how that happens, but when they see that mom and dad or a single parent, that they're, they're firm and solid in the way they're going to conduct their home and their, their, their business um, as a parent, that makes an impact on that child. It actually brings a sense of safety and parameters to that child or those children in the home. That's good. That's real good. Real good answer. And you guys are asking some really, really good questions. Um, that last question really hits home directly for me. Uh, my wife is in the back helping out in the nursery. She's a phenomenal, phenomenal mom. But the truth is, when we had our first child, it changed our marriage. So... 15 months later, I had another one thinking that it would change it back, but it doesn't work that way. Yeah. I don't think that's the way that works. So the next question, um, this one's a two-part question, and we'll throw this one to uh, Mr. Wayne and Ms. Dot. Um, you guys can break this up how you want. So the first part of it is, how does a couple with two different religious views about God thrive in their relationship with each other? 
Second one, I'm very much involved in my church. I'm in a connect group, a serve group, but my spouse isn't. How can I get my spouse to be engaged at church? Okay, let me take that first part. And I'm assuming we're not talking about a couple that one was raised Pentecostal and one was raised Baptist. Or they are not agreeing on which translation of the Bible to read or something like that. Or the, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, whatever. Anyway, we're talking about two, two people that have two different religious viewpoints one a Christian, one not a Christian. Um, first of all, the, it's already been mentioned, I think, here that uh, a very strong principle of God's word is to not be unequally uh, yoked together with an unbeliever. And this is something that a lot of young people miss, and they're thinking, okay, uh, I know he's not, uh, he's not a Christian, but I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll win him to the Lord, or, or you know, we're, we're in love, so it must be God. And uh, so, uh, they they move into that, and they maybe never heard heard about being unequally yoked together. But this is a very very important thing. If you're not uh, if you're not already married, make sure that the person that you're looking to marry is a born again believer. They know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So uh, if um, if you find yourself uh, you've been in a relationship, and maybe you just came to the Lord yourself, and your spouse hasn't, and so there's the differences, and there's the uh, the pulling back and forth. Uh, the, the most important thing that I think the Word of God tells us is that we can't nag that person into church. We can't uh, manipulate them into becoming a Christian. Uh, we can't make them uncomfortable. We can only share Jesus with them, let them see Jesus in us. The Word of God says that the unbelieving spouse will be won by the conversation of the uh, of the Christian spouse, and that uh, that word conversation is actually better translated behavior. So by our gentle uh, loving them and pointing them to Jesus, that's how that's going to be resolved. And through prayer and 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 waiting on God and His timing, it will happen. The second part about uh, being involved in a church and wanting your spouse to be involved. When we see the importance of being involved, like in a connect group or in a serve group, and what a blessing it is to us and to those that we are connected with, then naturally we want our spouses to be involved. But we have to remember that it's not our place, uh, again, to coerce them or try to push them into anything because we have to remember that we're not all on the same level. We're not all on the same level spiritually, and so we have to realize that it's only the Lord can do this. We can't do it ourselves, but only the Holy Spirit can. Uh, I know uh, one practical thing that uh, came to my mind is um, if you uh, know other couples that you're close to in the church and uh, they are involved, maybe you could get, uh, try to get to know them better, get more involved with them. And then if your spouse sees, you know, sometimes... I think people stand back because uh, they don't know how real people are, you know. But if they get to see that we are, we're real, Christians are real, we have, we have our needs, we have our problems, but we need each other. And uh, when they get to know other people better, then I think that might encourage them because it is so important that we are involved in the church. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. 
and even more as the, as the day approaches, which I believe he's talking about, the end time, which we're definitely in now. We need each other. We need community. We need uh, fellowship. It's a very important part of our Christian growth. But there again, just love that spouse and pray for them. And then if the Lord gives you practical things to use, then you can. But it's all up to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Um, okay, moving right along to our eighth question. Our eighth question says, the Bible mentions that spouses shouldn't withhold from one another sexually. What does this look like in marriage? I don't get that one to join right in. Okay. I figure you're on a roll, so. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So, uh, yesterday we, we kind of wrapped up our couples encounter. And um, if you've done any kind of encounter, we do talk a lot about, because it's a real, a real part of our life as humans, is we, are, we, are, we have a mandate on us that makes us um, sexual beings. Like, we are all. And so, um, and then that plays a part when you're single, you're tempering that, you know, and you're waiting, um, hopefully and prayerfully, for the person God has for you. And then you get married, and it's a different conversation. So, there, there's there's always that conversation. We've started that conversation with our children, and then when, when they get married, it's going to be a different conversation. So, you know, we're always having a conversation about this, and this is another part of the conversation. And um, that question kind of comes from 1 Corinthians 7, 5. It says, do not deprive each other, except perhaps um, by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so... Um, First of all, that there is a scriptural abstinence there, right? And it's a mutual decision is what it says. And then it also says, but then come together so that you're not tempted. So that says to me that it's so important for us as, as married people to um, come together again because it does help our spouse in the area of temptation. And together, when you're, when you're married, you, you work together in marriage to help each other. You're a helpmate. And so there's part of that. And I just think it's very interesting um, when we talk about sex, and it feels weird to talk about sex on a Sunday morning here, but um, as the children's pastor, um, but you know, like, but you know, um, I don't know where I was going with that, I lost my sight, but, but you know, I think for us as women, sometimes um, we can definitely think that men are the ones with a, with a problem in that area with sex. You know, we think about men struggling much more with lust and things like that. And um, of course, as women, we can struggle with those same issues. But a thing that, that I've noticed as a woman and in friendship with women is women can also use it as a weapon or we can use it as control in marriage. And it's not that we're just praying and then we're coming together mutually and then we're helping our spouse. A lot of times it comes from either hurt or resentment. If, if he would, then I would, or those types of things. And that's not God's heart for us in marriage. And so, um, I th also think too, um, something that Reagan talks about, I think that, that it kind of plays part on both sides of it. You want to talk about that? Yes. Uh, uh, you know, I, like Joy said, a lot of times women can feel like it's a it's the men's issue when men can feel like it's the woman's issue in marriage, and and uh, and that you know men, men have a higher drive than than women do most times, and so it, it's it's easy for men to think that the the issue is just because she's just you know just not not willing, and so I think for men we have to be very careful to make sure that we understand that it, it's a two way street because 
you know, when, when we were most likely when you were first dating and, and even when you're first married, you know, you, you spent a lot of time wooing your wife, you know, we, we say, and romancing her and spending time doing the things that really make her feel special. And, and of course, in marriage, when you do that, you know, it makes the woman more uh, want to have that intimacy with the man more often, more, just plain out more. And so what... <laughs> And so what we do as men sometimes is that we, we forego some of that stuff. You know, once we're married, we think, well, you know, I, I conquered her now. I won. I got, I got her married to me. And so now we think our work's done when really our work has just begun. Um, not, nothing grieves me more than when I hear of couples that say, you know, they haven't been on a date in years. Because I, I just think, man, I mean, you dated all the time when you were trying to get her to marry you. And now all of a sudden you stop. And, and I just think we need to continue to do that as men. We need to always be make, creating an atmosphere where, where our spouse would want to be intimate with us and making sure we're doing our best to, to help cultivate that in marriage too. Yeah, and honestly, like when, when God created Adam and Eve, he had said he blessed them. And then he said to them, go be fruitful and multiply. And basically he was saying like, go have sex. He was, and that means to be fruitful and multiply because God sees that, that union as being fruitful. And I think it has, it's as much to do with, with, um, procreating as it is like the fruit that we bear in our lives that the Lord can use in our lives. And then it's also something that he created for us to enjoy each other. So I think it's important to the Lord that, that we really submit to him in that area. And I also want to say there acknowledge that there are medical, there are times and seasons where it's just, it's, it's more difficult. And we have to be patient. And that's where that mutual not, you know, time comes in sometimes is we need to love people with the love of the Lord and our spouse even more and be patient and kind. But um, we also need to be as much for each other as we are ourselves. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Amen. Give it up. Give it up. There's something about large crowds and getting people engaged and starting to talk about sex. I see, I see parents, they have to nudge and say, wake up, wake up. But when you said sex, the teenagers are, sex? It's funny. It's funny how that works. And to the parents, you guys have some questions too about just being a parent and your kids. Um, Pastor Steve and Beth, we'll, we'll throw this next one to you here. So this texter writes in, as a parent, I used to feel that I had it all together and was in control when my kids were younger. Now that my kids are getting older, I find that I'm struggling with insecurity. Any advice? Yeah, I think I'm going to start off with that one, if that's okay, babe, because that's a question that I could have easily written myself about 10 years ago. Because um, we, we did feel like we had done it right when they were young, and um, we were very intentional. So you mentioned the thing that we went to parenting classes, and we wanted to do this the right way, and um, we had them very active in church. You know, I taught my kids the importance of even having devotions. Like, they were having devotions, like, through elementary school. That was just a regular part of their routine, and it got to where I didn't even have to tell them. They were they were doing that on their own. And I was like, so proud. And they're learning scripture. And I remember one of them, when they were like 10 years old, came to me and said, yeah, mom, I'm going to start a prayer journal. And I'm going, oh my goodness, I have the most spiritual children. And I'm just like, you know, oh, I've just, I've done it right. You know? And, um, and then all of a sudden, um, a thing called puberty happened. And, um, I looked to my husband and I was like, who are these people with us in this home? And, um, and I literally, and I'm not exaggerating. I totally reacted in fear. There was times that I literally felt panicked 
I mean, panicked. Like, what are we going to do? Like, why are they all of a sudden forgetting everything we've told them? And why aren't they listening to us anymore? And why aren't they trusting that what we're saying is for their good? And um, I did. I just started overreacting. You know, the hammer came down with mama. And I was preaching at them and just going after them. And I just kept reacting, reacting. And the Lord used my husband in such a mighty way. And Steve, after um, he started seeing that pattern in me, and he pulled me aside and he started, and why don't you kind of tell them, you started showing me the difference that I was reacting, but in reality, we needed to pause and we needed to start responding. That's right. Yeah. Um, so reacting, 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 and we covered this a little bit in the couple's encounter. Reacting kind of is something we do in the flesh. You know, it's our, our first uh, thing that we do is react, but at a spiritual level, we, we do something different. We respond. And that's what we had, that's what I started seeing is that, hey, we got we got to stop reacting about all of these situations that are happening, and we got to come up with something, we got to come up with a plan. And that's, that's when you begin to respond. As a matter of fact, those of you, maybe many of you today here that serve your community in some capacity as a first responder, you know, you, you respond to something that's gone wrong or that's going wrong or potentially could go wrong. And so that's what we begin to do. We begin to respond. We begin, begin to take it to the Lord in prayer, asking for wisdom and direction, and knowing that I think you said it a little uh, earlier that what did, what did I do wrong or where did all this go? That's what you said. Where did all of this go that we've been, we've been doing all this time and everything was going so right? Uh, where did it go? Well, it didn't really go anywhere because what happened is that we impressed that. The Bible talks about that. Impress that on your children. That was impressed in them. The truth is in our, our boys. The truth is there. It's in them. So I said, you know what? We have done what we were supposed to do. We have impressed them with the truth. We've taught them. We've led them. We've let them see the example that we have in our home. We put each other first. We didn't have a child-centered home. And we did those things. So as a way of responding, what we did was we began to pray. And I, I, this little thought came to me. I said, you know what we need to do? Uh, is we need to point and pray. We continue to point to the truth. We continue to point when there's the windows of opportunity happen, and we can have those conversations. Uh, we point to the truth, but then we have to back it up with prayer. So we point and we pray and we trust. We point, we pray, and we trust, and we just ask the Lord to just continue to work. And I can tell you that as my boys are getting older, uh, we're seeing those seeds that have been planted in them. So, you know, it's different for every parent. Isn't it? I mean, it's different for every family, whether you're a, a, a single parent or, you know, traditional family, whatever the term is, whatever. But um, it's different for every family. There's not, you know, our stories, our story, your story is your story. But you have to you have to be intentional. There's that word again. You have to be intentional about it. And you have to go to the Lord in prayer with that and know that uh, there is a way to respond that's, that's appropriate. Yeah, and if I could add to that too really quick, just two more things is that I wanted to encourage those Maybe you didn't feel like you did do it right in the beginning. It's never too late. That's right. It's never too late. And you continue to point and pray, even if you didn't feel like you set the foundation that's right. Because you continue to go before the Lord and you continue to pray for your wayward sons or your wayward daughters. And you go to the Lord and he he will show you ways that you can point to him. 
So it's never too late to become passionate before the Lord about your children. And um, even related to that, I went. I, I think back to the first question we had about um, how God gave the mandate of husbands to love their wives and wives to respect their husbands. And part of the reason for that is because that's the language that they respond to. And husbands um, respond to the language of respect. And women respond to the language of love. And I feel like the Lord said to me, it's the exact same thing with your sons and your daughters. And so, so go to the Lord and say to them, Lord, how can I in a new way during this season of difficulty to show love to my daughters so that I can have that language and open up those opportunities to again, point towards you and with my sons, how can I have the language of respect? Because they will respond to that mom and dad, find those things that you can let them know that you are proud of them and that you are, 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 are seeing the good in them. And that the, will give you those opportunities to again, point back to the heavenly father. Yeah, that's so good. Such, such good wisdom there. Okay. Well, we have reached our last question. Um, I'm going to give this one to pastor Tony and Haley. Um, so this question says, um, I come to church and I feel like I'm always on the outside looking in. I, I tend to feel this way at work when I look at social media, etc. What advice would you give to those of us who are having a difficult time getting connected? Ah, okay. I love this question. I love this question. Okay. So if we were going to go out and just have coffee with each other, which I love to do, I would, uh, I would probably listen to what you were saying listen to this question. And then I want to tell you if, if there's anybody in here that's actually feeling this way, because I do feel like this is something that's spoken about a lot, that your feelings are valid. You're, the, the, the loneliness that, that you might feel or the, the disconnectedness that you might feel, that's a real thing. And people feel that all the time. We go through different areas in our life and different segments in our life where we feel that more than the other. So your feelings are real. We have felt that before. I have felt that before. Don't ever let the, uh, yourself or the enemy let you, let you think that you're just, you know, you're the only one. You're the only one that can't get it right, can't get connected, because that's just simply not true. The Bible says that you have been given gifts and talents within you that you can give and you can receive from other people. The Bible says that you are the city on the hill, that you are the light, that you are the salt of the earth. Yeah. So you have something to give. Yeah. And so I would just simply ask you, what, um, maybe what, uh, what is your expectation for your community? Are you saying that it has to look this way? It has to be with these people. It has to be with this amount of people. Right? Like so many times I feel like we can make community. We can, in our minds, we can make it this magical, or even this romantic thing, which it can be. I will say I do feel like that within the community that we have. But I also will say it takes work. It takes work to get to those places and to get, uh, it takes time in those relationships as well. If you look at the early church in the New Testament, when it started, it said that the purpose that they came around uh, in Acts chapter two was to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then also from there came things like hospitality and gratitude and generosity. Those kind of things came out of that community. But first it says that they were devoting themselves to truth. And that's what needs to come out of community. We have to rub up against each other and get some truth. A lot of times these questions that we're asking here, even in this forum, those are best answered, as we've already mentioned, in community, within the safety of relationships, of people that know you, that trust, that you trust, and that uh, they trust you and their heart is for you. So those are the things that I would just simply ask as we're, uh, as we're talking about this kind of question. Yeah, just a couple 
things that I would think in addition to that, because uh, I think you explained that very well. Um, two practical things that I feel like I see um, people not getting in, into community. One is insecurity. Um, and insecurity is the dismantler of community. Um, if you walk into an area and you're already insecure, um, I, I would say that, you know, that's why the church needs to be the church. That's why the church needs to be one that welcomes all people, you know, because insecurity dismantles that community. Um, and I think of the word community, I think of common unity, that we all have a common unity. We're unified around one thing, and that's for all people to come to the knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so in community, we need to, that, that should be at the forefront of our mind. Whenever we see somebody, we should allow insecurity to dismantle community. We should be the ones that are reaching out to that person that maybe nobody notices. Um, and I also think, too, if you are that person, what, on the opposite end of that, I think are critical spirits. I think people that come into a church who already have a critical spirit are already made up their mind that it's about me and not we. And I think if you can change that mindset that it's about we and not just me, I think you can be community, you know, with other people. And so um, that's what I would just add to that. So... And I would just wrap it up to say, you know, we, the, the body of Christ is diverse and any, any community that you're a part of is going to be diverse because we're all different people. And even if you look at the early church, as they spread out, you begin to see these different church plants that were coming together in communities and they started having issues, right? That's why some of the smaller books in the New Testament are written because they were having some problems. And so some apostles were sent to like bring the stick on them. And I'm just kidding, just to, just to kind of help them, hey, let's work through some of these relational issues because these relational issues come up, right? So in our community, we have to be willing to fight for it. We have to put ourselves out there, fight for it and speak life because the Bible says we have the power to speak life and to believe God, you're good. You have this for me and I'm going to speak into existence, this community, this family of God that you want me to be a part of. So good. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, thank you for our panel. Right? We give it up for yes, them. Great they, job. They did a good job. Well, we, we also just want to say a, a hearty thank you to you guys thank for you texting guys. in your Absolutely. questions because we couldn't, there would be nothing to ask if you, if you hadn't have, have been vulnerable and transparent and asked your questions. So we really appreciate this. We hope that you like this. It's a little different, a little different. Um, but I think it's a, it's a great way to get a good, good perspective from different people. Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, it was a great forum. Thank you for your engagement. And now Pastor Reagan will come and close us out. Thank you, guys. I, I know we've gone a little late, a little long today. Uh, we'll just call it overtime because in sports, overtime's a bonus. So we got overtime today. Um, if you just give me just a minute, I just I want to give you guys a chance to respond. Um, the, the people that were on the panel are already up here and ready and willing to pray for you. Uh, we, I just want to give you that opportunity because, you know, we started this relationship series talking about our relationship with Jesus and how important that is. And uh, and I, I, I just felt this morning as I was praying about today just that, I want to make sure you have an opportunity. If you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you've never given your heart to him and received the work that he did for you on the cross, I want to give you that opportunity today. If you want to come to the altar, if, if you want to come up for prayer for anything, uh, you, you're welcome to do that today. We're, we're not going to re- limit it to just relationship stuff. But I really want to just let you know that, you know, Jesus is, he's the best decision I ever made was to give my heart and my life to him. And, and I was scared when I did it, but when I did it, I realized, oh my gosh, how did I survive before? Because... Uh, knowing him and living for him is the best choice I've ever made. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, please. 
all of you in, in, the, in the house this morning. And uh, if you want prayer, you can start coming now. If you, want, if you want to pray with somebody, if you'd rather just find a place at the altar to pray by yourself, if, you, if there's anything about your relationships, any of your relationships in your life you would want prayer for, uh, please, please come up and just take this, this minute to pray. Uh, I want to pray over us as a congregation and just, just ask the Lord to just continue to bless our relationships. One thing that we've learned through this series is that God's heart is for us to not only be in relationship, but to thrive in relationship. That's his plan for us. That's his desire for us. He created us for it. And, uh, and, and when we are functioning in relationships the way he's designed it, we know that that's, that's the best place to be in life. And uh, it definitely starts with our relationship with him. So I'm going to pray. If you guys would just pray with me as, as I just want to bless this congregation. Father, we thank you today that, uh, that you are the author of relationships, Lord. We know that you said early on in creation that it was not good for man to be alone. That you designed us to be in community, to be together, to live our lives together, Lord. And I know as we live our life, that as time goes on, sometimes we, we put walls up and, and we've been hurt. And so it's hard for us to trust and open ourselves up to others. God, I pray that you heal the hearts of those in this house today that need that. Lord, that need to be able to, to, to put down those walls to allow people into their life. God, whatever hurts are, are holding us back in our lives, God, I pray that you would show those to us. Help us to release those and help us to see that, that we can trust you. And your sacrifice on the cross was enough for us to be able to, to forgive others too and to move on past those hurts. And, uh, and God, I just pray for all the, the marriages in this homes in this house today, that you would bless every married couple in this house. Lord, I pray that for those marriages that need healing, that you would bring healing, God. For those that need restoration, that you would bring restoration. Those that are feel like they're, all, they're just hanging on by a thread, Lord. I pray, God, that you would restore, that you would reconcile uh, hearts back together again, Father God. I pray, Lord, that the relationships in this house today would thrive. That, that they would thrive in ways that we never dreamed they could, Lord. I pray you would anoint everyone in this place, Lord, by your spirit to live in relationship the way you designed it, God. We love you. We thank you that you have set the standard for us in relationship, that we would lay down our lives for you because you laid down your life for us. And then I pray that we would lay down our lives for each other, that we would consider others' needs above our own, that we would uh, that we'd be willing to put ourselves out there and trust you, God. We love you. We thank you for this day. I pray you bless this week for each and every person here, God. And we, we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen and amen. Well, God bless you today. I hope you enjoyed this series, this panel.